Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Isn't Mo Muslim Though with your host, Ziad Dadaboy. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Joe Milber. Salam alaikum. So, before we get started with who Joe is, we're going to go with actually a deviation on the standard question. Joe's a convert, so I decided for our season finale, rather than ask him what's his encounter or, like, you know, story with a non-Muslim, we'll see what bizarre, funny, or awkward encounter Joe has had with Muslims and his experience as a convert. So, Joe, what was your most bizarre, awkward, or funny encounter with a Muslim? Well, man, I have a lot. And by a lot, I mean I could write a whole book on it. It's something I'm a- I've actually been considering doing, actually, because I have so many stories. But what I do find interesting is a lot of Muslim men are very protective of their spouses, their girlfriends, the women in their family. And to an extent, it's a good thing, provided it is within moderation. Prophet Muhammad did say a man without gira has no religion. However, there are some Muslim men who kind of take that whole gira thing a bit too far when they're like, you can't even say salam alaikum to other men. You can't even work because you'll have to be around other men. Uh, you have to delete all dudes on your Facebook. Like things like that, I think, you know, kind of go a bit too far. Because, They'll say this to their wives? Yes. And yeah. I know a lot of Muslim guys who are like that. And listen, I'm single, but I would never be that way. But if there are Muslim dudes who are like that, and if there are Muslim women who are somehow okay with living in that type of an arrangement i mean all power to them i would never let a woman be that restrictive on me but if there are (laughs) women who are okay with their men being that restrictive on them then it's none of my business but see i've had a lot of muslim men i mean let's be honest here we have a lot of muslims who also interact the opposite gender dating what, what do you want to whatever you want to call it now, I've had some Muslim guys who are very protective over their girlfriends. But what's interesting is when I used to meet Muslim dudes who are very protective over their non-Muslim girlfriends, right? Because to me, I'm always wondering, oh, crap, I hope that she doesn't realize, think that that's somehow part of the religion not instead of just part of him as a pro- him as an individual. Like, I hope those types of non-Muslim women realize, okay, it's just their boyfriend being insecure and not a religious <laughs> thing. You know, because this guy's like really protective, right? Correct. Like, yeah. I, I I feel bad for him, but again, not my business. But I thought, I remember back when I lived in St. Louis, I had a buddy who was dating a non-Muslim girl, and he was very protective over his girl. Literally made his girlfriend delete guys off his Facebook. No, sorry, off her Facebook. Oh wow, that's really intense. But but again, if she was okay doing that, then okay. But and he was like so protective that like. He even like flat out told her that, you know, he should try to find a type of employment where she would be around more women than men, which is kind of <laughs> weird because she actually worked at a clothing store. So mm. it's like at a women's clothing store, mind you. So it was like she was kind of already surrounded more by women than men anyways. Yeah. Most of the customers would be women and not men anyways. But again, his paranoia, his problem, none of my business. <laughs> so... But here's the funny thing. With a lot of these types of dudes who are dating non-Muslim girls, I'm somehow the safe one, the exception <laughs> to that. And let me explain why. You see, I'm a convert. And a lot of these Muslim dudes know that, you know, their parents or even like their local imams would not be down with them marrying someone who is not Muslim. Mm-hmm. So I had this one dude tell me bluntly, hey, listen, you can hang out with my girl and like take her out to lunch, take her out to dinner. Text me a picture of the receipt, and I'll even Venmo you the expenses to cover for you and for her. Just do all that, and when Dang. you hang out with her, just give drop her on some dawah, <laughs> right? So I did. So, there, so you know, I hung out with her for about 
almost two years actually. Wow. And like, and I had all my meals, and I had all my meals paid for too. So I'm like, why not? Right. Yeah, might as well. Literally, I got free meals just to hang out with another dude's girl. Like, what more could I could I possibly want? But anyways. She eventually, you know, she converts to Islam, but, you know, I kind of get the vibe that she was really kind of only doing it for him and his family. But again, it's not my place to judge the heart, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of got that vibe because, you know, I kind of still saw her, you know, popping bottles, you know, and all that other stuff. But at the same time, I was thinking, okay, you know, she's a new convert. It's going to take some time, you know. Yeah. Don't be judgmental. You know, don't be judgmental. Just make do off her and just be there to support her as she grows, right? Well, you know, they continue dating for about a year. And then all of a sudden, she dumps him. Because she re- she actually got into the religion, and she realized that he just wasn't cutting it. He just wasn't <laughs> cutting the, he just wasn't following the religion that she converted to. So she dumped him uh, because she got into a religion, and he wasn't. So then later on, and the reason I found this out, right, was because, so this guy calls me on the phone, right? And he cry, he's crying, and he's like, she left me, she left me, she left me. And like, you know, obviously I was like, whoa, what the hell happened here? You know, <laughs> who messed up, right? Right, I was wondering who messed up because, you know, they've been dating for quite some time. Like, for them to break it off, somebody's got to have done something wrong, right? And, she, and he's like, well, she left me because, you know, she got religious and she wasn't happy with the fact that, you know, I wasn't, you know, practicing. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, listen, man. Right? You told me a guy who you know to be a practicing Muslim to hang out with your girlfriend to give her dial, right? What did you think would happen? Right? Like, I mean, it was like he knew that he wasn't like giving enough dial. Like, his lifestyle wasn't working for her to convert. Right. But he had to get you to help her convert. She would have figured something out, right? Right. Uh, But again, like, and I was wondering, and at the top of my back of my head, I was wondering that the whole time. But again, not my business. I mean, hey, if some girls are into bad boys and let them, it's not my place to judge. But I am glad. But anyways, you know, she dumped him. He cried. And then, and, and this is why I use this every story because I have a lot of other people, Muslim men, Muslim women, always asking me to give dawah to their boyfriends or girlfriends. And I always tell them bluntly, listen, the best thing you can do to bring a non-Muslim boyfriend or girlfriend over is just to be a good example because if you yourself are not living Islam right, the other person's not going to appreciate a religion that you yourself don't appreciate. Yeah. So let me backtrack a little bit. I know another girl who, back in St. Louis, she was kind of, you know, she was in a relationship with a non-Muslim man. She, you know, she liked vanilla. <laughs> and, and nothing wrong with that because, you know, I like vanilla ice cream too. <laughs> but anyways, <clears throat> she asked me to give dawah to her boyfriend. So I'm like, listen, you drink, you don't pray, you sleep with him, you don't fast in Ramadan, and you're expecting him to convert to a religion that you yourself don't practice. And and you're just like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, just have him say the magic words, which is the Shahada. He's Muslim, and you can sign the Nikah paper and all as well. He's like, yeah, but you know, I, I want him to convert for the right reasons. <laughs> so I'm like, so you want him to convert for the right reasons to a religion that you don't take too seriously. And she's like, where, where are you going with this, Joe? <laughs> so I'm like, well, you see. I then told her the exact same story I just told you, right, about that other girl who dumped her boyfriend because she got into the religion. So I told her, listen, 
you know, I want to see you and this man live happily ever after together. The worst, the last thing I'd ever want to see is him get into the religion and then dump you after you've already been married for some time because you don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. So I told her bluntly, I'm like, listen, you need to like, you know, stop drinking, stop sleeping with him. And let's be honest here, whenever, knowing how men are, when a woman tells a man, hey, I'm not going to sleep with you anymore, that man's going to do whatever she says quick. <laughs> And, and, and believe me, he did. He started going to the mosque. He started reading the Koran. And he started like reading about Islam and everything. And he actually took Shahada. And now he's actually very into Islam now. All because this woman who I'm friends with decided to like, you know, start putting an example of what Islam is all about. Mm -hmm. But I always feel like, you know, a lot of Muslims think I'm like the, not the Kafir whisperer. Like, you know, if they got a Kafir in their life that they're trying to bring over, like they send them to me and I fix them. I've actually considered starting a side business of doing this because I've had so many requests. Well, you I could have least, like a reality show. I can, <laughs> or at least I can pay off my law school loans with getting Dawa. Like what better, what better job could there be to literally get paid to give Dawa to people's boyfriends and girlfriends, helping them have successful marriages because of that. There and imagine go. the testimonials. Joe brought my girlfriend to Islam, and now we're happily ever after. And now my white, my white wife wakes me up for Tahajjud every night because she went to Joe. You know, they say he went to Jared. Well, some people will go to Joe. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great business idea. I mean, it definitely is. let's it make is. it into a whole show. We can have a podcast it and everything. Is. You know how I am. I love starting podcasts left and right. Um, what I find really interesting in these situations is that like they just think that you know since you're a convert you know exactly what to say to them to convert right like for them it's like you know all converts are the same you you're a convert you know what it means for this person who's a non-muslim right. to convert so you know just give them like the five step plan and they can easily convert know, that right? and you're set for life i feel like i feel like i'm a psychologist at this point <laughs> what I, I mean what's also interesting for me is that one these people were not only okay with like you hanging out with their boyfriend or girlfriend but they didn't realize that, like, you know, you're, the dawah you're going to be giving them is going to be actual, like, the religion, right? It's less like if they had just gone to them and been like, hey, you know, just pretend, to, or, like, not even pretend, just say, like, the like shahada, you can convert and we'll get married. There probably would have been, like, less problems, per se. Right. But when they, like, had you help them get, like, converted, then they became much more religious because, like, you were actually telling them about the religion rather than just be like, hey, convert to get married and stuff. So it was, like, kind of backfired on them. <laughs> Did, but again, that's their own damnation, not mine. <laughs> so, but both of those couples now, one is broken up, one is living happily? Yes. That's because, and this is why, because one couple, one per person took my advice to get her shit together, to get her, because one person took my advice to get her act together, and the other person, well, even though as a friend, I'd kind of low-key kind of been trying to advise mm -hmm. him to, you know it out he didn't so moral of the story if you want to be happy in life listen to joe <laughs> if you listen to joe you'll have no problems in your life you know what i find interesting is that for for me it's it's always been that struggle of when i when you meet people who aren't that practicing you always kind of want to be like oh okay like they're not that serious like whatever you don't kind of take them seriously right but recently <laughs> i had a friend he like kind of we were in a group together and there was a guy who was not that practicing um like the stuff he was saying it was just like Okay, not really though. Um, and I was kind of, I just got like annoyed and I, I like left the group. I was like, whatever. But then the guy was like, hey, you know, like my friend messaged me on the side. He was like, hey, look, he's trying to turn his life around. He's trying to become better. 
But the thing is, all the practicing Muslims like kind of talk down to him because he's not practicing and he's not a convert, right? So like in your experience, like as a convert, do you kind of get like kind of more of a leeway? Like people will be like, oh, it's okay that you do that. You're a convert. Whereas <laughs> I feel like for born Muslims who are not that practicing, people are like, you know, much more strict and like just like we'll write I them off. I disagree to an extent for this reason. Yeah. If a Muslim, born Muslim girl, let's just say, let's just say you have a born Muslim woman who wears a job and then decides to take it off, right? Yeah. Nobody, I've never really heard of anybody going around questioning, hey, is she still a Muslim? Did she leave the religion? On the other hand, if a, if a convert woman decides to take off the headscarf for whatever reason, a lot of people start wondering, hey, is this woman still a Muslim? Does mm. she still believe in Islam? You have a born Muslim man, right? Let's say he goes to a club, starts drinking, starts giving dawah to the ladies in the club, nobody's going to start thinking, oh, is this is Ahmed still a Muslim? But if Joe goes to the club and if Joe starts drinking and if Joe starts giving dawah to the, to the beautiful non-Muslim women in the club who are dressed oh so modestly, nobody's going to be wondering if Joe, it, people will be wondering, is Joe still a Muslim? People, so like there is a bit of a double standard mm. with that. And then also I feel like the double standard, that's one thing. The second thing that I think there's a little bit of leeway on, not, on the other hand, there's also this aspect. I feel like for new converts, we have a little bit of leeway in some aspects that born Muslims don't have. For example, I as, look, and even converts like me have been Muslim my whole life. Let me give an example. Because, you know, my parents are not, Muslim, they're Catholic, I can basically do whatever I want, right? If, if I told my parents, hey, I'm going to go to a hookah lounge and hang out with um, Fatima, like my parents would be like, cool, Joe, go have fun. Like they wouldn't care. Yeah. Try having a born Muslim tell his parents, hey, I'm <laughs> going to go hang out with Fatima at the Shisha lounge and see what happens, right? <laughs> see, the reason, the problem with that is if, I, if I'm ever hanging out with a non-Muslim, with a Muslim girl one-on-one, -on -one, and if other Muslims see that, People will only, unless the other Muslims know me, they're going to be just seeing, oh, Fatima, Aisha, Khadija just hanging out with a white guy. Mm. But if it was, I was a brown guy, an Arab guy, or someone who's clearly Muslim, at that point, they would start spreading rumors about her. Mm. So in a way, like, I have a little bit of protection, and, and to a degree, there's a little bit of that protection on, in that type of situation, for any women I might hang out with one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> in fact, here's another, I actually had something happen to me recently um, I was at, I was in, uh, I was at a hookah lounge and it was my mistake, but I put it on, but like, I took a video of everyone in the hookah lounge, like, like for my, uh, Instagram story. And what happened was that there was a Muslim girl who, a few Muslim, it was a mixed group, guys, girls were all in the hookah lounge. Yeah. And I, as a Muslim guy, like I acknowledge, like there's certain privileges I have that women don't have. So like, look, if I, as Joe, I'm sitting in a hookah lounge. Nobody's really going to talk bad about me. And this has nothing to do with, even if I was a born Muslim, nobody would. On the other hand, because it was my mistake and I didn't realize this, there were some women in that hookah lounge too. And some of my quote unquote friends who saw that started spreading rumors about the particular, some about a certain woman who was in that hookah lounge. Mm. Even though I was doing the exact same thing she was, yeah. nobody was spreading bad talk about me. They were spreading bad talk about the woman. So in some ways too, like I didn't understand at the time that there was these different uh, double standards that certainly exist in the Muslim community. Because it's so like, obviously, you know, um, the woman, you know, she confronted me, she explained how like, 
if I did that, if I did by doing that, it caused some people to have misconceptions, you know, or misunderstanding of the situation. And like, because I don't understand, I didn't grow up with these certain types of double standards. It's like, there's certain things that even I'm still trying to figure out when it comes to these unwritten social codes. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I still think like an American, right? I, which I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying it is as it is. But like, so I, but like, I do think that in some ways there is leeway for converts. I also think there's no leeway for converts in other areas. So I think that's a complicated question. Yeah, I, mean, I never thought of it like that because it makes sense, right? It's like at the same time, you guys are viewed like, oh, you know, when you're new, it's like there's some parts where everyone's like, okay, it's okay, they're a convert. But at other times, it's like you guys make one slight misstep and it's like, oh, they're probably not even Muslim anymore, right? Like they've gone back and stuff. I think, I think that happens too when like, if, for example, if you have a convert who then goes really, really religious, but then, you know, slips a bit, then people start wondering that when I think that's very problematic to do whether the person's a convert or not. Mm -hmm. You should try to, you know, build them back up. You shouldn't try to just, you know, push them away from the religion because, you know, like even with born Muslims, they slip too. And like, no one tries to say, oh, they're no longer Muslim. They just say that, oh, this person's struggling and that's, they leave it at that. Um, but another thing I've also found weird with a lot of born Muslims towards converts is their obsession with knowing stories of converts. Yeah. So like, let me give an example here. Look, I'm a good looking guy, right? And if I see some good looking woman walking down the street, I have every right to ask for her number. Now, chances are, despite the fact I'm a good looking guy, such woman would still probably say no because most women don't feel comfortable giving their numbers to dudes they literally just met. Mm -hmm. common sense especially when that's the first thing to do to ask the woman right? yeah it's kind of weird it'd be very surprising if they did give you that yeah right? to be honest with you if i ever randomly ask some random woman on the street for a number and she gives me her number and it turns out to be a real number and not a fake one i would actually start to wonder if something's wrong with her to be honest <laughs> with you but anyways right but if i ask for a woman's number and she says no i all i can do at that point is accept it and move on so Imagine how it is when you have a lot of born Muslims, especially the older generation, who ask me for my story. At this point, whenever people ask me for my story, I just bluntly say no. Or I say, or when someone asks me, or what I'll say is, I'll, I mean, I'll say it respectfully, but I'll say, hey, listen, I just met you. I don't feel comfortable talking about this. But what, but what, but some, where sometimes when people ask me, Joe, how did you convert to Islam? I say, I said the Shahada. <laughs> Because that is how I converted to Islam that by is, saying the Shahada, right? It's a very true statement. Right? It is a very, I, mean, I think most people say the Shahada to convert to Islam. <laughs> I think that's kind of like how, you know, everyone does it maybe. But the thing is that a lot of born Muslims that I've noticed get offended when the convert chooses to not share that part of their life. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is that I am not entitled to know anything about anyone else except those in my immediate family or those I might, or any woman I might be married to. Beyond that, I'm not entitled to know anything about anyone else, not even you, Zia. Anything you, Zia, choose to tell me is by your own voluntary act of giving so. Yeah. I'm not entitled to know a single thing about you. So when I meet, so like when born Muslims for the first time meet a convert and then expect a convert to tell them that sensitive story, it's like, mm -hmm. come on, like what gives you that entitlement to know that personal information about a stranger? And you're saying they get mad when you say no. Yeah, and it's like, come on, like, what are you gonna do now? Get mad at women who don't give you their numbers? Like, no, if a person doesn't wanna give you information, because giving a number is a form of information, mm -hmm. if a person doesn't wanna give you a form of information, I can understand being disappointed, but you can't, don't have a right to take it out on that person for it. 
The second way I explain it too is, imagine if I just met a couple. It would be kind of weird if all of a sudden I started asking them, hey, how did you guys meet? Because I'm asking a couple. I just met about their relationship with each other, which is obviously very personal. When you ask a convert, how did you come to Islam? You're literally asking that person about his or her relationship with God. So again, if you're going to, like, you would kind of, like, so my personal rule of thumb is I don't tell people my story unless I've at least hung out with them. Now, I'll even tell them if it's the first time we've hung out. Like, mm -hmm. if, if we were in lunch or coffee for the first time and they ask me, I'm comfortable telling them at that point because at least I consider anyone who I'd hang out with to be a friend. And friends, you know, share the information with each other. But I don't share personal information with people who I don't consider to be a friend. It's just common sense here. Uh, but I think a lot of born Muslims, you know, lack certain social skills when it comes to that. No, definitely. Was this something that came about or like, was it like at first when you converted, like people asked and you kind of just told the story and then it just kind of got you repetitive and you slowly developed this like no first and then spreading or is it kind of from the start, this is very personal for you and you only really shared it with your like close friends and stuff? Well, it's complicated. Well, so... I used to, okay, so I used to be more open to telling, but then I kind of got to this point when I realized that I would start telling my story to people, and then for some reason I'd never see or hear from them again, right? So then I kind of come to this realization. Why do people, if there's no guarantee that I'll ever see the person again, why should I tell them personal information? Yeah. Like, if there's no guarantee I'll ever see them again, why is it, why would they even care if you know anything that personal about me anyways, right? Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think that makes sense, like, because... You don't want to just tell like random uncles and stuff and like never see them again. And you're just like, all right, this guy knows this about me and he's just gone. The other thing that also kind of got me a little bit more was that it got to the point when I started realizing that a lot of born Muslims feel like it's expected for them to know. Mm -hmm. Right. At that point, I'm like, no, I kind of want to change the narrative a little bit on that where it's like. There's no problem with a born Muslim asking. I'm not going to be like, you can ask anything. Like, usually I can even ask me for my social security number if you want to. I won't be mad at you for that. I'm not going to give you my social security <laughs> number, but I'm not going to be mad at you for asking that question in and of itself, right? Yeah, I mean, just like, obviously, you'd give social security, mother's maiden name, all that. <laughs> right, like, but you can still ask, and I'm not going to be mad at you for that, right? So if a born Muslim, especially one of those auntie and uncles, want to ask me, they can ask me. I'm not going to be mad at them for that. What I am getting mad at them for is if they seem to have the entitlement where they are expected to have the story. Because mm -hmm. when you ask, you're asking for permission. So it's like, if now, I, sometimes I will tell people I just met if I can tell by the tone of voice that it's them asking for permission to know, not a, hey, tell me your story kind of a deal. So yeah. it's like, sometimes that they phrase it like, hey, would you mind? I know this is a very personal question. If you don't want to tell me, I understand, but can you tell me your story? Sometimes, if they phrase it like that, where they at least show a degree of respect for my wishes, a lot of times I've actually been willing to tell them at that point because at least I can appreciate the tone where they don't have the sense of entitlement, but they're literally asking me for asking permission to know this about me. At mm -hmm. that point, I can respect their manners, and that a lot of times I've actually told them that out of because out of appreciation for that. Yeah. So a lot of times, if people just ask me the right way, I'll tell them on the spot. They can even be a total stranger if they just ask the right way. And that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, you said that you grew up in St. Louis and you converted there. Yes. And then you moved to Chicago later on. And so did you find that you had a lot of more encounters after you moved? Because it seems like 
there must be a different dynamic where you're in a community and you convert in that community and people like knew you from before and then after whereas in chicago they mainly just knew you as you know like the white convert well to be to be honest with you i didn't really know any muslims before islam mm -hmm. so to be so to be completely frank with you um every muslim who i have ever known all has only known me since the time i took shahad oh wow okay so yeah i, I cannot think of yeah, the only person who's technically known me before Islam was the dude who gave Dawa to me in a chat room. Hey, FBI, it wasn't an I it wasn't an ISIS <laughs> recruiter, just so you know. But that's that's it. That's it. Beyond that, every other Muslim has only known me since I took Shahada. Oh wow, that's really amazing. And so you were surrounded mainly by or it seems like only non Muslims growing up. Yeah. Um I grew up in a very predominantly Protestant and Jewish area of St. Louis, so yeah. Is there a good Muslim population in St. Louis? Yeah, there is. I mean, St. Louis has a large population of Bosnians outside of Bosnia. Oh, wow. I guarantee cool. you, if you ever meet a white Muslim in St. Louis, there's a 50-50 chance. Actually, there's probably an 80% chance that it's a Bosnian and not a convert. Have you been mistaken for a Bosnian a lot? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, especially at the Bosnian mosques. And I mean, it that makes sense. Yeah. Which makes sense. You know, when they see a white dude walking in, they're going to think, oh, so it's another one of us. And it doesn't help my situation when I can speak a little Bosnian too. Because mm -hmm. I used to pray at their mosques when I lived in St. Louis. But the funniest thing is when... Now look, when I meet born Muslims, I can understand a born Muslim thinking I'm a Bosnian when they first see me, right? You know, I'm a white Muslim. I'm like, all right. They're thinking, okay, fine. You're probably a Bosnian, probably an Albanian, or some other one of those European Muslim ethnic groups. Yeah. What I've always found hilarious is when born Muslims think I'm a Bosnian after they know that I'm a convert. That is, I, I again, that's happened to me on quite a few occasions, and I just cannot wrap my head around the lack of logic in that. Like the fact that they know you're a convert, but they're like, no, no, you're Bosnian. Okay. Well, it's not like that. It's like I, I remember, like I had one dude ask me flat out, like. Like when he, some, so I mentioned in a conversation that like I'm of Irish and Scottish heritage and like the guy who was like sitting next to us was like shocked that I wasn't Bosnian. Like literally like he was shocked. Like he mentioned, he was like, oh my God, I thought you were Bosnian. I'm like, no dude, you've known me for like a year and a half. You know, I'm a convert, right? He's like, yeah, but I thought you were a Bosnian convert. I'm like, some, I mean, look, you have to understand Allah made us all different made us all into many nations and tribes Allah made us differently and Allah blessed some people with more intellect than others <laughs> so if so if Allah blessed me with more intellect than another person it's important for me to thank Allah for this favor he has bestowed upon me and to not judge someone for not having a favor that Allah has bestowed upon that person no I mean that would definitely make sense you know there's a there's a Bosnian much I think like in the near Devon area. Yeah, there is. I went to, I used to go there for Jumma a lot because I worked on a construction site near there. Some of the nicest people. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know Bosnian. So for like a good solid half a year, I had like no kutbas that I understood because it was just in Bosnian. Right. <laughs> um, but it was definitely a fun experience. And I definitely felt like, you know, how you probably feel in like a Desi Majid because I was the only brown person there. Right. <laughs> um, well, and the, and the worst part, see, it's funny because when I go to the Bosnian mosques, right? They think I'm one of them, so like until they find out that I'm an American. So then, like that's always the funny part. So it's like I can blend in. Sometimes even when I've been to the uh, Mecca Center in uh, the suburbs, it's a mostly Syrian mosque, right? Because a lot of Syrians are very light skinned. I pass for Syrian on a lot of occasions too. I remember one time I was at the Mecca Center, 
and like some old culto, like start, which is ant in Arabic, came up to me and started speaking Arabic to me, right? And I was like, what? And she was like, kind of then spoke Arabic to me in a very uh, simplified way, thinking I was just some Americanized, you know, <laughs> Arab who can't, you know, speak Arabic. So I was like, uh, then at that point, I was like, Auntie, it's a kalam Englishy. Do you speak English? And she's like, Oh yeah, of course I speak English. So I'm like, <laughs> Then why didn't you speak English with me? <laughs> and at that point, she's like, Oh, but I, but you're Arab. I'm like, No, 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 Anna. Amriki Abia, Anna Amriki Abia, Anna La Arab. I'm a white American. I'm not Arab. At that point, she was like totally embarrassed, as she should be. But like, yeah, I mean, you knew enough Arabic to get that. To I her. knew enough Arabic to make that point to her, but you know, and but yes. So like, even despite the fact that I'm whiter than sour cream, I passed for non-white. What I passed for. Um, other than white sour cream on many occasions. <laughs> so I know earlier you're speaking to the FBI that wasn't an ISIS recruiter, you yes. know, who brought you in. But speaking of them, has anyone ever accused you of being like part of the FBI or Homeland Security? Because I know a lot of people have that fear, like, you know, any convert, especially a white convert, someone looking to entrap their kids and stuff. Well, it's funny you say that. See, personally, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, there are many... Or, or at least I want to say there are some people who pose as white converts who are FBI agents. But from a strategic standpoint, if you're going to gain intel in any community, logically, you would want to send someone who doesn't stand out. You'd want to send someone who can keep a low profile and not make people already cautious. Yeah. Because that's the whole point of gaining intel, right? So for a person like me who's white, any mosque I go to except basically the Bosnian ones, I stand out like a stick out like a store at sore thumb. <laughs> Put me in Devon where it's all Indo-Pacs, right? I'm gonna, I'm basically the cream in the chai whenever I'm around brown folks. So because you know, because you know what cream is, you know white and chai is brown for those non-Daisies who didn't get that reference. But anyways, <laughs> so don't get me wrong, I don't discount that as a reality. However, I honestly feel like a lot of more FBI informants or agents are. Arabs or Indo-Pakistanis who can blend in and no one would suspect. Because let's be real now, you kind of have to worry about the people who you wouldn't suspect. Now, I once had a dude going around telling folks I was an FBI agent. Now, most people didn't believe him. He's like, oh, don't Like, listen. he wasn't talking to you. He was just talking to others. He was yeah. Like, wow, that's really yeah, messed up. Yeah. And his reason for it was like how, because anyone who follows me on Facebook knows that I'm pretty extreme in a lot of ways. I'm openly anti-Zionist. Um, I openly do not salute the flag. I have, you know, like I'm very, oh, I'm very, I have very, I've, I have a lot of strong opinions, mm -hmm. right? Anyone who knows me knows that. So I just do think there's no way in hell this white guy would be more pro-Palestine than a lot of us. And this was a, and this was a Daisy guy, right? Yeah. So like, because, because unfortunately there are some Daisies who are big on doing interfaith with Zionists and all that. Very but unfortunate. Very unfortunate <laughs> because the, there's no people who've suffered colonialism like the Daisies with all the evil things the British Empire did to them. Unfortunately, you still find a few remnants of them who want to still lick be white. The, who still want to lick the boots of the Zionists, yeah. right? But anyway, <laughs> but you can find sellouts in every community. So I don't want to just bash the Daisy community because every community has its sellouts. Even the Irish in Ireland, they had the black and tans who supported. Um, the British rule as opposed to Irish self-determination. So no point to poke fun at Daisies for this when you can find sellouts in every culture. Yeah, but anyways, 
Um, but anyways, um, what happened was is that this guy went around telling people I was an FBI agent. So I found out about it. He was telling people I was an FBI agent, and the best part was is that barely anyone believed him. But this is what I this is what I did to get him to shut the hell up. So you know how in Islam, when you slander someone, you basically give them your good deeds. Yeah. Right. And it's a very good and the only way you can be forgiven of that on the day of judgment is if that person chooses to forgive you. So I found out this guy was spreading rumors and I bought a, cake, a cookie cake at the store and I randomly showed up at his house like a good FBI agent. <laughs> I knocked on the door. He answered the door and I said, hey, listen, I heard that you had been going around telling people that I'm an FBI agent and I wanted to thank you because you as a Muslim brother want me to go to Jenna that badly that you have donated to me as a form of sadaka all your good deeds. So I have this cookie cake for you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope your wife enjoys it. And I hope that, you know, you will continue to give me your good deeds with your slander about me being an FBI agent. Well, that's a master move. Like that's well, a master at that, at that move. Point, at that point, his face got red. At that point, he actually broke down in tears. And at that point, he never said another word about me again. And I'm sure he enjoyed that cake too. Because here's my logic. If you're gonna confront someone, be a little sweet about it. Which is why I brought a cake, because a cake is sweet, but I still made my point clear that he needs to shut up. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that, I mean, I can't imagine any way, better way to do that. Because I mean, clearly you confronted him, you told him exactly what he was doing wrong, you also, you know, you got a little, little gift, a little cookie cake as well. I know, because how else am I going to thank someone for helping me go to Jenna by giving me their good deeds, right? No, definitely. I mean, I find it very surprising that the guy was also married and his wife wasn't saying anything to him like, hey, you know, stop slandering this person, um, unless she also believed it. And that's also really bad. <laughs> but, I, don't, I mean, I, I've never, I've only, I've never met his wife, so that's his, that's yeah. her, I, I don't even know what she was saying. For all I know, she couldn't have been totally ab- clueless to all this. You know, I want to, unlike, true. unlike him, I give his wife personal bun because <laughs> I'm better than him and I'm better than that. And for all I know, perhaps his wife is such a gracious soul for being able to put up with a man like that. That's because true, only true. a woman who's a saint could put up with a man like that. So may Allah bless that woman I for mean. marrying him because I sure as hell don't, cannot, I sure as hell cannot think of any average woman who would put up with a man like that. <laughs> so on that note, um, thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. I mean, I think this has been an amazing episode and a really good cap to our season. Um, do you have any social media you want to plug? So my Instagram is uh, Joe Schmo, A-J-O-E-S-C-H-M-O. And my Facebook is Joe Milburn, M-I-L, B as in boy, U-R-N. And if you see a white guy who's... Um, uh, who, if you see a white guy based in Chicago, it's probably me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that, Joe. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. This is going to be the end of our season. Hopefully, we will have something in the works for y'all in a couple months. Uh, look out for that. You can always catch us at, at ZBHOY or at IMMTCast. Thank you so much. Peace.